for that round of applause. Wow, that was very encouraging, and I appreciated that. So hello to all of you. Welcome to the North Jersey Vineyard. Welcome to our Summer at the Vineyard Sermon Series. Um, this is something we love to do each summer as Pastor Bill Phil takes a much-needed vacation for a couple of weeks. Um, it gives some of us on staff a chance to just take a position, take a week um, to just deliver a message from the Lord. We had a couple of great sermons over the past couple of weeks from Pastor Thomas and Pastor Marianne, and I'm just super excited to be here this morning to just share this message uh, with you that God has kind of been putting on my heart and been working in my own life uh, for quite a few months now, and I'm just really excited to share this with you today. So today, we're going to be taking, going in a little bit of a different direction and talking about a biblical character who, in my opinion, is a hero of the faith, but with a twist. Because this person today is just such an unlikely hero of the faith, just so unexpected. I mean, think like nerdy, wimpy, bespectacled Clark Kent, who's, you know, suddenly transforms into Superman to change the world. Okay, maybe not quite that extreme, but you get the idea. On the surface, our character today is just the most unlikely of heroes. I mean, this is not confident Peter who gave bold speeches in front of powerful leaders. This isn't little scrappy David who went toe-to-toe with a giant. This is not courageous Ruth who left behind her country, her people, her family to enter a new culture and a new faith in a brand new God. On the contrary, our hero today isn't anything like that. But before I get into telling you who this is today, and I'm hoping by now you're at least just a little bit intrigued who this might be, we are going to play a little game this morning. Now, when I was a kid growing up, we played a lot of board games in our family. I mean, we didn't have PlayStation, we didn't have... Man, we're lucky we had a color TV, right? (laughs) We didn't have a lot of stuff, but we had lots and lots of board games. And one of our favorite games was Bible Trivia. And I was addicted to Bible trivia because that's who I am. I loved it. And we had a game that was one of our favorites that was called Who Am I? And the way it worked is there'd be all these cards and someone would read a little card out loud with some details or clues about a particular biblical character. And whoever guessed first won that round. And let me just tell you, I was an absolute pro at this game. So I'm very excited that this morning we are going to play a round of who am I. So see if you can guess who this is. I am a woman. I am in the Old Testament. I only have one and a half chapters of the entire Bible devoted to my story. I am not one of God's chosen people. I am not a Hebrew. I am an Egyptian. I was once royalty, but now I am a slave. I was forced by someone else to have a child by a man who was not my husband. I was abused. I was rejected. I was abandoned. I had no voice. And I wasn't always the nicest person either. I was exiled and almost died in the desert twice. And finally, I met God. Okay, got any winners for this round? Anybody? 
Hagar, awesome. Wow, you guys are amazing. Yes, today we are going to be talking about the story of Hagar. Now, if you have the app or if you scan the QR code coming in, I have some sermon notes uh, there, some fill-ins, if you want to take notes along the way. And like I said, you don't get much more of an unlikely hero of the faith like Hagar, not only because of the list of attributes I just read, which really should disqualify her, but also because she didn't even have faith, (laughs) not in the beginning anyway. But the story of Hagar is so rich, it's so deep, it just resonates so powerfully with our lives today. Honestly, I could do a whole sermon series just on Hagar, I'm not kidding. But in just this one meager chapter and a half in the Bible, the story of this unlikely hero of faith speaks to all of us today about who God is and who we are to God. Now, Hagar's story is found in Genesis 16, and then a little later, it picks up in uh, chapter 21. Now, I'm not going to read the whole story because of time, um, but I would really encourage you guys on your own time to go and just sit with the Bible, sit with Hagar's full story, and let God reveal even more depths of this amazing story to you. But here's the rundown of the story. So God promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. I mean, we read throughout Genesis, we hear God saying repeatedly that he would have a son, and from that son would be generations of descendants who would be God's chosen people. And it would be his wife, Sarah, who would bear that child of promise. Now, remember that covenant promise. We're going to come back to that in a couple of minutes. Now, fast forward several years, Abraham and Sarah were extraordinarily wealthy. I mean, they had massive amounts of cattle and possessions, and they had a very large household of which Hagar was a part. Now, we know she was a servant or a slave. Specifically, she was a personal attendant to Sarah, kind of like a maidservant. But interestingly, many Bible scholars actually believe that Hagar was part of the Egyptian royal family, but that she was given away to Abraham and Sarah as a gift. Now, culturally, that's really hard for us to wrap our heads around, but in that day, it wasn't really all that uncommon. And her place as Sarah's personal attendant was actually a pretty lofty and coveted position. So anyway, Abraham and Sarah, they have everything, but they were still childless. The promise that God made to them still hadn't come to pass. And now they're getting kind of antsy. I mean, when the Bible, it doesn't specifically say this, but it does seem to say that doubt might have been starting to creep in a little bit, that maybe they were starting to wonder, did God really say that? Is he really going to keep his word? So Sarah decided to take matters into her own hands. She basically said, look, let's face it, my husband is a really old man, and this body that I have now is so far past the age of bearing children, it's just not going to happen. So she gave Hagar to Abraham and said, here's my young servant woman, go have a child by her, let's just hurry up this process, get it done. I guess it's up to us to make God's promise happen. Well... You can imagine how that went, right? That wasn't God's plan. And when we take matters into our own hands, things will 100% go south. Am I right? (laughs) It does. 
So, sure, Hagar got pregnant, but this was not one big happy family. I mean, seriously, this turned into like some biblical version of a soap opera, like as the ancient world turns. Okay, good, you guys laughed. I know that was really bad, (laughs) but I couldn't resist. Sarah became resentful and bitter. But to be honest, Hagar was not all that innocent in this either. She started to get a little uppity. I mean, after she was carrying the child of the most wealthy and prominent man around. In verse 4, it actually says, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. I mean, things just got really ugly fast. And then Sarah tried to get Abraham involved to fix it. Yeah, that goes right. It goes well, right? He gets all Jersey and was like, hey, I did my part. I'm done. (laughs) I'm not touching this one. You ladies figure it out on your own. So Sarah, she just started to mistreat Hagar. And the Bible doesn't say if it was physical abuse or verbal abuse. I am quite certain it was a mix of both. But it finally came to a breaking point, and Hagar's life just became so unbearable that she ran away to the desert, most likely to die. And that's where she meets God for the very first time. Now, we're going to come back around to that in just a minute, but let's fast forward several years now to chapter 21. Just a quick summary. Hagar has her child, and Abraham and Sarah finally have their promised child, But now Sarah is resentful again, but this time of Hagar's son, like there was some competition between the two boys. So Sarah told Abraham to kick Hagar and her son out, exiling her to the desert again, most certainly to die. But once again, God had other plans, and he met Hagar there again and blessed her and rescued her. Now, that is one loaded story. And like I said, there is like a whole sermon series just right there. But the crux of our message today is this, that twice Hagar went to the desert to die. And twice, not only did God meet her there, but he rescued her and blessed her. So today, because of time, we are just going to dive into Hagar's first desert experience and just unpack that part of her story. And again, I'd really encourage you to sit with the story with both of her experiences because there is so much there. But today, we're going to connect the dots between what she experienced in the desert with our own stories, when we find ourselves in our own deserts. Because trust me, we have all been there. We've all had those experiences and we'll explore what this has to say to us today. So before we tackle Hagar's story directly, let me just give you a little backstory and take a minute just to talk about the desert itself, where the life of our hero of faith was transformed. And I'll sum it up in one sentence. Everything in the desert is trying to kill you. Now, let me explain. A couple of months ago, um, a really close friend of ours went on a road trip. He left um, his home outside of Philadelphia, drove across the country to Arizona, and along the way, he stopped at a desert in New Mexico to go mountain biking. And he posted photos of his adventures on Facebook and with that very same caption, everything in the desert is trying to kill you. 
Now, he's a very funny guy, and I laughed because I thought it was funny as well. But the photos really prove the point. I mean, there's gigantic cacti with these spikes that could be used as weapons. I mean, some of them look like medieval torture devices. I mean, it's just crazy. Now, here's what you have to understand about the desert, especially in biblical times. This is not a nice place where you'll find a resort just to kick back and soak up some rays under lovely, you know, waving palm trees or having like cold, fruity drinks with little umbrellas. Absolutely not. On the contrary, the desert is a place that will kill you. It is not a place that sustains life. There is no food. There's hardly any water. The sun will burn you up during the day, and when night falls, you will freeze. And this is where Hagar went, not once, but twice. Everything in that desert represented death for her. But get this. Just when you think the story is ending, this is where it just begins. In fact, this is where it gets really good because this is where God does his best work. Because here's another thing you need to know about the desert. When you actually open your eyes to it, there is stunning beauty there. When our friend posted his pictures on Facebook in the midst of his photos of these giant impaling plants and dangerous terrain, the beauty was stunning, but you had to open your eyes and look for it. I mean, there were delicate flowers that grew in the midst of those horrible spikes. It's just a gorgeous palette of color that only God could create. And in Hagar's story, she finds beauty in her desert. And I'm not talking about flowers, but rather a lasting beauty. Surrounded by death, by what should have been the end of her story, that's where she finds God, the source of life and the author of her story. So just keep that in mind as now we unpack Hagar's story and what it meant for her and how it speaks to us today. So when she first runs away to the desert, just full of despair and in such a state of utter desperation, the miraculous happened. She was not alone. When Hagar reached the end of her rope, when she had nothing left, that's when she met God for the first time. We read in Genesis 16, verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. Guys, there is so much packed into this first encounter that Hagar has with God. It is just so exciting. And I'm excited to break this down now with you. The first point is this. God calls her by her name. When you read through Genesis 16, you will notice that neither Abraham nor Sarah ever call her by her name. 
The only thing they do is refer to her just by her label, the slave. And that indicates that she didn't really matter. She had no value, no personal value. She was invisible. Do you ever feel that way? I certainly have, and I'm sure everyone in this room has at one point or another. But here's why this is so important. We are all created with the need to be seen and to be heard, to be valued and appreciated and affirmed, to be cared for and nurtured. And this need is not something superfluous or prideful. On the contrary, God put that need right into our very being, the very fiber of who we are, created in his image. One of my absolute favorite Bible verses is Jeremiah 1 verse 5, where God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That's incredible. And throughout the Bible, God refers to us as his workmanship, his image, his likeness, his children, all words to describe how intimately connected he is to us. Being seen and heard, valued and loved is from God himself, the one who created us because of the very fact that he loved us and he wanted us and he valued us right from the start. Isaiah 43 verse 1 describes this so beautifully. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, Did you catch that? Using the name. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. But this is exactly what was taken away from Hagar. All of those needs that she had were ignored. She was traded and then rejected She was not valued or cared for. She was not nurtured or loved. Everything was stripped away. Yet that's the exact moment when God revealed himself to her in such an extraordinary and intimate way. For not only was God the only one who truly saw her and knew her and heard her cries, but he was also the only one who followed her into that desert. Catch that. God himself pursued her into that place where no one else would go. Guys, this is really mind-blowing because by pursuing her and using her name, God was intimately saying to her, you matter to me. You see, God knew that Hagar had no idea who he was, that he was going to be meeting her for the very first time. So he did something amazing. I mean, Hagar didn't know even how to look for God, so he pursued her. And then he established the most important thing. She had value. She had worth. She was loved by God. And God's word to Hagar is the same word that he speaks to us today. 
that when we are having our own Hagar moment, that we, when we find ourselves in our own deserts where sometimes it does feel like everything is trying to kill us, when we feel rejected or betrayed, when we feel unseen or unloved, remember that the very one who put those needs into our DNA, he calls us by our names. He pursues us into our deserts and he does not leave us alone. Hagar's story points us to the beauty in our own deserts because of who he is, the one who reminds us of who we are and whose we are. Amen? Amen. Now, after God calls Hagar by her name, just drawing her in, we come to our second point. God then extends her an invitation. So in verse 8, we read, Hagar, where did you come from? Now, of course, God knew the answer to that, right? But his question is doing something very intentional here. God was inviting her to reflect on her past, on what was, on who she was. Remember in the beginning, I listed out that long uh, list describing her life, right? Of who she was, of what she was, right? A woman, kind of like a second-class citizen, right? Someone sold off by her own people. She was a servant or a slave. She was abused and cast out. She had so many labels, But what God is doing here is extraordinary. He's saying, yes, these things happened to you. It's part of your story, but it is not your whole story. It is not how I see you, and it is not where you will stay. This leads immediately then to God's second intentional question. Where are you going? Right? The second question is another invitation, opening the door to Hagar for a new future. Now that she had this incredible encounter with the living God who makes all things new. Do you see this amazing shift in perspective here? God took that long list of labels, of attributes of who she was, and he turned them around to reveal who she really is. Not an unvalued woman, but the beloved of God. Not rejected, but accepted by her heavenly father. Not abandoned, but rescued by the one who loved her. Not invisible, but seen and heard. Not a victim, but a victor, because God was on her side. And this incredible perspective shift is for us as well. If you are in a desert right now, if you have been labeled by others, if you are hearing the lies of Satan telling you that you are not good enough, that you don't matter, that you are invisible, that you are a victim, I am saying right now, no way. Hold on to this story of Hagar with both hands and accept God's transformative invitation for you today. Yes, the past stories of your past chapters of your story are still there, but they do not 
define you because your story is not over. Why? Because God is the one who makes all things new, even us, especially us. When we meet God in our desert experiences, we do not emerge the same. We no longer remain the way that we were because that's who God is, and that's how God rolls, and that's what he wants for us. Amen? Amen. So I want to share, um, just take a minute to share a personal story that really illustrates what this looks like. When you encounter God in your desert and when you accept that invitation of transformation. So my oldest brother, Steve, I have three brothers, my oldest one, uh, knows, he knows very well what it's like to be in a desert that just seems never-ending. For years and years, he has struggled on multiple fronts. I mean, you name it, he's gone through it. He grew up in our Christian family. We were all raised the same, and yet he rebelled and rebelled and just fought God at every turn. He has struggled with anxiety and depression. He has experienced tremendous losses and grief, and he's very very familiar with intense loneliness. And when he hit that rock bottom place, in the deepest part of his desert, that's when he encountered Jesus. It's like he almost had to lose everything, to have everything stripped away in order to truly meet God who never stopped pursuing him. And here's where God does his most incredible work Now, every weekend, my brother, the one who rejected God for decades, he goes on what he calls his mission walks. And he parks his car, and he walks over the George Washington Bridge, and he goes to the worst possible neighborhoods throughout New York City, often walking 10, 12, 14 miles each time. And he intentionally seeks out the homeless and the lost and the addicts. And he goes into neighborhoods that no one else will enter. And he hugs people that no one would go near. Now, my brother, he doesn't have much. But what he does is he hands out these little Ziploc bags that he puts together during the week. And he, in, that little, in those little bags, he calls them his mission bags, <laughs> it's cute, he puts a little pamphlet of the gospel, a $1 bill, and some candy. That's all he has to give. And then he takes that and he goes into the deserts of those people on the streets because he himself knows what it means to be in a desert and also because he himself knows who met him there. He tells them about Jesus. He sits with them. He listens to them. He hugs them as they sob. And he shares with them the hope in their desert because of the hope that he received in his own. That's what it looks like when God makes all things new. And this leads us to our third point today. After Hagar is called by her name, and after she is invited to bring God into her story, Hagar then receives a great blessing. In verses 10 to 11, we read something unheard of. Remember earlier that covenant promise I mentioned that God gave to Abraham? 
Well, that same promise is given to Hagar of all people. God promises Hagar that her descendants will be too numerous to count, and her son was given a name by God himself. It's almost like God just wanted to go so over the top with her, just be so extra with her, just illustrating to her just how much he truly loves her. And it's like he's saying, Hagar, I just gave you this new identity. Now let me bless you so abundantly that you will never forget And by God personally naming her child Ishmael, even that speaks volumes. Because Ishmael means the Lord has heard your misery. Remember earlier we talked about this need to be seen and heard. And here God is cementing that once and for all for Hagar. Now he is giving her a beautiful gift, a living, breathing reminder of her encounter with him. Never can she doubt that it really happened because every time now that she looks at her son, she will know that she was and is seen and heard. She will know that not only did she meet God in her desert, but she was rescued and abundantly blessed by him. And then right after all this happens, it says in verse 13, She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Do you see what's happening here, guys? Hagar's faith takes root in the desert, in the most desolate of places, in the place devoid of life, in that place where she was literally on the threshold of death. That's when life happened. That's where God showed up. And Hagar boldly accepts and proclaims, God sees me. He pursued me. He called me, and I am his. This is a powerful word that we all need to hear today because there are some here today who have been or currently are in a desert, and that can take so many different forms. It could be loneliness or divorce or betrayal. It could be rejection or abandonment. It could be a financial hole that you just can't seem to get out of. It could be tremendous loss or consuming grief. It could be depression or anxiety. Or maybe you just feel like you're drowning from trying to juggle life and work and kids and bills and the vet and groceries and just not having any time for yourself to just breathe. Yes. The desert is real and it can be harsh because the truth is Satan does not want you to thrive. He does not want you to experience joy or the fullness of the life that God has for you. He is really good at his job, but the truth also is this, God is even better at his, amen? We need this capital T truth to hold on today to hear God saying to you, just as he said to Hagar, I am here. 
You are seen. You are heard. I have life for you and life to the full. You are not alone. I am calling you by name. You are mine. You are loved. Even though everything in the desert wants to kill us, the desert cannot ever keep God out. He pursues us and does not ever leave us in that place to die. Amen. Amen. Romans 8, 37 to 39 says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, even a desert, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, God gave us a tremendous gift just as he gave that gift to Hagar. He gave us his son, Jesus, the living water in our desolate deserts. He sent his son to become one of us, to walk in our deserts with us, to rescue us and redeem us, to ultimately die on the cross for us, to restore that beautiful, intimate relationship with God, our Father. Whatever your desert might be right now, it cannot break you. No matter how hard Satan tries to attack us or get us to doubt or despair or lose hope, our desert does not conquer us. It will not conquer us because we are more than conquerors. We are victorious. Amen. There is a reason Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Hagar's story is our story because God pursues us into our most desolate of places. And in the pursuit comes extraordinary encounter. And in the encounter comes revelation of God himself. And through that revelation comes healing and restoration and wholeness. A desert encounter does not give us death, but it gives us a new beginning because this is the gift of life from the giver of life who makes all things new. Amen. Amen. Oh, our loving and pursuing Heavenly Father, we thank you for Hagar and her story. We thank you for shifting our perspective today that we don't have to fear our desert experiences because we know that you are right in it with us. Open our ears to hear your voice as you say to us today, I see you, I hear you, I love you. Open our eyes, God, to see you when you appear to us, to see the beauty in our deserts, 
especially when it's in a way that we might not expect or even want. Open our hearts, Lord, to accept your invitation to leave behind our past, to leave behind our labels and move forward into the new life with you that you have for us. Today we say like Hagar, Lord, we see you, we hear you, we embrace you, and we love you. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Just pray that this word, just God, just puts this uh, in your hearts, that you carry this with you. If you used um, the app at all or the, the sermon notes, if you're at the end, you'll see that I have a bunch of action steps there just to kind of help you through this journey. I didn't talk about it today, but they're all in the bottom. Uh, just take advantage of that if that would be um, helpful for you. And also, if any of this just resonated deeply with you today, if you're finding yourself in this place, know that you are not alone. Not only is God with you, that Jesus is walking in this with you, but we have physical human beings here ready to pray for you. Um, They're going to be up front, our prayer team. So if you need prayer for anything, uh, please come on up and let someone pray for you. God bless you guys. Thank you. Have a great week ahead.